I'm joined today by Adrian Frost, who together with Adrian Gosden is the manager of our UK and International Income Fund. Adrian, you've been managing the fund for a couple of years now. What have been the main challenges you've experienced over that period of time? Do you know, I think the main challenge has been just getting invested. Because if you look the last two years and you picked up any newspaper on any day, the news has been pretty much unremittingly gloomy. Um, uh, and yet at the time, uh, you know, the market's actually given a pretty decent return mm. over that period. So that's been the fundamental challenge, is, is, which is really to say um, that the macro on the gloomsters you know, have been to some degree discounted in the marketplace. Uh, equities have been pretty unpopular. Um, and actually, the way of summarising what's happened is I think things have turned out less bad. Don't get me wrong, they're not good but they're less bad than the, the sort of most gloomy commentators expected. So with all of this gloom around in the market, how, how do you avoid the temptation to change your investment approach? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question when you, when you talk about noise and investing. Uh, let's, let's first and foremost answer it. The, the, you know, the great thing about income and our income and cash flow approach is they're two rocks. And sometimes we're sitting quite comfortably on the rock and sometimes we're clinging to the rock because of all the noises around. And the simple way I like to think about it is this, a little story here. Um, if on a Sunday you pick up a piece written by Warren Buffett, it's simple, it's easy to understand, and it makes investments seem very approachable. And you think, I can do that too. And you can. It's not that difficult. And on Monday you go into the office and you're just like Warren Buffett. On Tuesday there's a couple of newspaper articles, a few phone calls from brokers. You're sort of quite like Warren Buffett, but not quite the same. By Wednesday, you really are becoming distracted. And by Thursday, you're nothing like Warren Buffett. And by Friday, you want to read all his articles again. And that is the way I think, you know, investment is so much about having willpower and strength to stick to your principles. And I'm not saying necessarily, uh, you know, I've got that in spades, but an income approach has it in spades. And that's the important thing. Adrian, your process is obviously bottom up, but there are um, macro influences that have to take effect. Um, what influence has that had, for example, on your balance between your UK holdings and your non-UK holdings in the portfolio? The macro, uh, I, I try and make sure it has as little influence as possible. Because if you stop to think about it, there are thousands of economists and strategists trying to predict it. And you know, occasionally they get it right. <laughs> uh, you know, there's not a very good uh, predictability record there. So really, when you're looking at cash flows of companies, you want things that are as much under the control of the management as possible. And so that takes you away from the macro uh, variances. So, you know, I, I don't like to be thinking, I'm interested in the macro, and it does have an influence, but I don't like it to be dominating what we're doing in investment. Regarding the mix between UK and overseas, no, no influence at all. We are not making judgments as to whether a German stock is a better place to be than a UK stock or a US stock. We're making judgments about whether a German pharmaceutical or a US pharmaceutical is a better place or a, or a better addition to the portfolio than more of a UK one. So it's really a stock-driven approach which ends up with geographical diversity on the basis of the stock's characteristics rather than the economics. So it's well known that companies have been repairing their balance sheets since 2008. How has that helped in your stock selection process? You know, what's happened to balance sheets has been enormously helpful from our point of view, and particularly, you know, on the two years we've been managing it, because we, we came in at a juncture 
where quite a lot of the balance sheet repair was well underway. And this was companies making sure that they were never caught short in the way they were at the credit crisis. They never wanted to go crawling to bond markets asking for money, crawling to banks asking for money. They wanted to be as self-sufficient as possible. So this, this great movement to strengthen balance sheets, lengthen funding lines, and to remove that uncertainty from the equation was already well in progress. And the corollary of that means that when it comes to dividends, uh, companies having been very nervous about dividends during the credit crisis now actually have a high margin of safety and balance sheet strength, which has been hard won, which actually underpins PINS dividends. And the second thing is, I think all of them have traded more profitably in the years after the credit crisis than they would have ever imagined. So that's actually added uh, to that balance sheet strength. So what does that mean for recent additions to the portfolio? I think you've bought Balfour Beatty, haven't you? So when we look at you know, a purchase such as Balfour Beatty, it's a good example there because it's always had strong finances uh, in an industry that's quite cyclical. This is, this is about building and contracting, primarily in the UK and the US. And it also has a portfolio of um, the government-backed private finance initiative, hospitals, schools, etc., etc. A long-term portfolio there, which is actually very valuable, indeed uh, undervalued. So we start in a good place with Balfour BT. Uh, 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 and uh, slightly against my earlier comments, this is something which just have a little bit more macro in it, in the sense that if you look at what's going on in the US and the UK, we're getting lots and lots of quantitative easing. We're trying to understand how that helps economies. Um, but actually, I think they'll get around to the view that helping the economies will be more direct expenditure into infrastructure, which in certain areas is sorely needed. The prime beneficiary of that is Balfour Beatty, and we start with a strong balance sheet and a 5% yield. You've got a big weighting in the portfolio in financials. I think some of our investors might be a bit puzzled as to why you find stocks in that part of the market attractive. Perhaps you could help us explain that. Uh, yes, I think when you, you know, broad brush, you say financials, people immediately think banks. And, and really it's everything but banks, largely. Um, and this is more about companies that were tarred by the brush of the, uh, of the banking crisis. Um, when in fact, you know, they were f much more solvent. You take the life assurance industry, that really went through its real crisis uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, that's when it sorted itself out. Uh, so it actually came into this crisis, uh, not in perfect shape, but in much better shape than one, uh, one could ever hope for. So it's really those, those companies where you know, we feel that there is good cash flow, it's fairly well underpinned, and there are good dividends to be had. Because see, the difference here is these sectors actually have dividends, whereas HSBC aside, you know, for a UK investor, there's not much dividend to be had in, in banks. You've also got holdings in two major pharmaceuticals companies, GlaxoSmithKline and AstraZeneca. Two things. Firstly, could you help us understand uh, the differences between the two stocks and what attracts you to them both? And secondly, how do you think about patent cliffs? I think uh, uh, you know, there is not a marvellously interesting story about pharmaceuticals, but actually there is a marvellously consistent cash flow to them. And yes, there are pressures such as patent cliffs and cutbacks in government expenditure, but these companies have plenty of capacity to flex and cut costs and to improve cash flow. 
know, these are companies that actually had wonderful decades of growth, generated loads of cash, and arguably didn't run their businesses as economically as they should have. And you know, we're still, if you like, able to reap the benefits of, of being able to run their businesses better. So it's not an exciting story, but it's a very solid story, and the yields there are arguably amongst the safest in the market. And the question mark really is how much dividend growth uh, can come about uh, from them, and that's what we spend our time thinking about, but not about the dividend security. So before we sum up, Adrian, I'd like to understand how you see the income-paying environment over the next few years. I think companies, the sort of companies we own, will continue to grow dividends. My note of caution is at the moment is that they are probably going to be a little bit prudent just about how generous they are to investors. They'll grow, but might not as much as they possibly could. Uh, and there are, you know, the reasons for that are perfectly evident when you pick up any newspaper. Who could blame a company for being quite, uh, you know, quite prudent uh, about what they do? But that money isn't gone forever. It's there. Uh, it belongs to shareholders. Uh, and in the right environment, it will come back to them in, in due course. But I, I'm perfectly happy that companies should actually pay secure and modestly increasing dividends rather than actually get far too excited and then we actually have a hiccup further down the road. And finally, what do you think is the outlook for investors in your fund? You know, if, again, if we come back to, if we, if we couch the outlook in terms of the yield and the dividend progression, you talk about a yield of something over four and dividend progression that's, say, prudently of 5% plus. It could, could be more, but let's stick with that. If you look at that compared uh, to the wasteland of, uh, of returns elsewhere, uh, there's very little to compare with it. Um, so that's why I think people will be attracted towards equities. After all, the environment of very, very low in interest rates is in some way asking investors to think about taking more risk. And this is, a, in my view, a good risk to take. The caveat would be is that you know, we come off a situation where this is dictated by very, very low bond yields. And if there were to be circumstances, and, and you can't rule it out, where bond yields were to rise, that would make it a more difficult environment for income. But as it sits at the moment, it looks as though bond yields are set to stay low for some time. Adrian Frost, thank you very much. Thank you. Any views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals and are subject to change. Where individual securities are mentioned, they do not necessarily represent a specific portfolio holding and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not indicative of future performance. The value of an investment may fall as well as rise and you may get back less than you invested. Returns on equities cannot be guaranteed. Equities do not provide the security of capital characteristic of a deposit with a bank or building society.